0: Welcome to our fourth podcast in our series on model-based systems engineering, or MBSE. We are again joining our moderator, Nick Fimberg of Siemens Global Marketing, interviewing Tim Kinman, Vice President of Trending Solutions and Global Program Lead for Systems Digitalization at Siemens Digital Industry Software. We are also privileged to speak to Matt Bromley and Matt Malinowski, also of Siemens, as we continue to discuss the impact of MBSE
1: in the aerospace and automotive industries. Hello and welcome back to Model Based Matters. I'm your host, Nick Finberg, and with me as always is Tim Kinman. So far, we've had a few discussions around model-based systems engineering. With an overview between just the two of us, we've also done a deep dive on product architecture. And in the last episode, we covered how teams can work together for a single system architecture. But today we're joined by Mark Malinowski and Matt Bromley from the EDA space to talk about connected development vertically instead of horizontal connections that we've had for connected engineering. Welcome to the podcast, Matt and Mark. Before we dive into the meat of MBSC for the EDA space, could you give the audience a little bit of background on yourselves? What do you work on? What does systems modeling play in the role that you do today?
2: Sure. Thanks, Nick. I'm Matt Bromley. Within the board systems space and so what we really mean by that is connected electronics in in a single box i work on the product strategy and technology roadmaps within siemens eda i think i think one thing that would be really good to sort of clarify early on is eda is a multi-domain space in its own right and so when we think of eda and siemens eda we actually think of a pcb domain an IC domain, an FPGA domain. And we'll talk a lot today about the interaction between those multiple domains just within EDA.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Mark, Could you tell me a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure. Mark Melinowski, I have spent most of my electrical engineering career in some form of either designing or managing the product lines of complex system, multi-domain systems, primarily in the Electronics and integrated circuit, debug, and test space. Later, moving into design and design flows, I started to realize that a lot of the challenges I faced were also being faced by our customers. So I began to focus on this MBSE for electronics space over the past five years. At Siemens EDA, I work across the domains that Matt mentioned that make up the EDA space, to try to commonize how we do architecture decomposition and continuous verification.
1: Yeah, system architecture has really been a consistent thread in all of our episodes so far, whether you're creating it with a single product definition and using that to guide your development across all the different groups, and even further with going into EDA because you have so many domains within your individual kind of box that everyone else kind of puts you in. But today we're going to talk about what the decomposition looks like. How are we going to go into the verification of all these processes? What does the EDA space look like to anyone that doesn't really know? And how does MBSC fit into that?
0: Before we dive in, I guess I'd like to hear from Mark and Matt about how the industry is changing. And as you know, we move forward on this whole area of the importance of MBSC, part of the reasoning of this discussion about going vertically is that more and more, the behavior that typically has been at a higher level, vehicle level, system level, Is getting pushed further down in the EDA stack. It's getting pushed further down into the, the chip and the system on chip. And so I think maybe a quick conversation about how the industry is dealing with this transition might be helpful to kind of set the stage. And then we'll dive into how would you address those types of problems.
2: And I think, Tim, there's a great sort of analogy around complexity we can bring here. Mark and I were having this chat a little bit earlier And if you look at the complexity changes in electronics over maybe the last 30, 50 years, they're just vast. We've been working in the microelectronics industry, pushing microprocessors for about 50 years. That's about half as long as we've been formally pushing gas pumping machines, right? I mean, you you started pumping gas in about 1920s. We started microelectronics really in the 1970s. And from that first microprocessor sort of an Intel 4004, that had about 2,300 transistors on it. A modern microprocessor might have 13 billion transistors on it. And so that's an increase in sort of a raw increase in complexity in that time of about five and a half million fold. Yet that gas pumping machine really from a sort of functional description and a a sort of verification perspective hasn't changed much. It just pumps gas into your car. It might do it a little bit faster, might collect a little bit of the vapor, but fundamentally hasn't changed that much. And so one of the things we really have to address in in, in electronics is this explosion of complexity that just continues. And I mentioned that in the microprocessor space. You know, that, of course, has a link into software, embedded software that runs on those microprocessors. And the complexity of those systems that are built around electronics and that explosion in complexity is really what is driving our need to have a more formal decomposition methodology, both for architectural decomposition and requirements decomposition so we can actually understand what we're building and verify what we're building.
0: The whole thing about how customers continue to shift left, you know, how do I know more earlier? How do I make decisions earlier? How do I understand the implications of my decisions earlier? And to what Matt was describing about the evolution of complexity, there's also seems to be this evolution of performance and expectation. And I think a lot of that, that, you know, historically may have been accomplished at a, either an operational level by the human, then moved into an automation through software and application level. But because of complexity and performance, it gets further moved down vertically from a EDA chain, and it seems like that's the other element that's going. We're putting more and more system responsibility all the way down to the board integrated circuit level than we ever did before.
3: I think that's like one of the driving forces right now in the challenges our customers are, are facing. Tim, if you think about this square centimeter of silicon with so many billions of transistors, multiple CPUs, GPUs, DSPs, devices that handle different application specificness of the system operation, that's causing more and more of the system behavior to be determined by what code is executed at what moment in time in the system's interaction with the conditions of the environment. And in most of our discussions with our customers, when we have them in a frank moment of what keeps you up at night, it's that ability to really identify what the risk is in the corner cases of all that complexity, controlling a system, moving it through you know, society and airspace and whether or not we've got the
0: corner cases covered well. That's really the challenge which maybe then that walks us into the beginning, which we stopped for a minute to kind of summarize the industry. But the initial conversation is this whole connection at the system level and the system architecture and the need to have that common context available to all of the cross-domain, but even more importantly, the, the ability to understand the, the, the system context, decompose it to the functions that are relevant to what you're doing and then being able to verify it back in the system context, that's, that's what you guys are trying to do in the system to silicon approach,
2: right? That's spot on, Tim. I mean, what, what we want to be able to enable is that decomposition from a high-level system requirements into the electronic domains, right? I mean, the broader systems cover more than electronics, but we're focused on the electronics domains here so that we can optimize the architecture to meet the requirements, that's the sort of architectural decomposition phase, what goes on the IC from a functional breakdown perspective versus what goes on the PCB, and then close that loop so that we can verify those requirements, which need to be broken down as well, in a much more automated fashion than, than honestly we do today. There are a lot of gaps in that process today that are just filled in by humans passing Visio diagrams and, and Excel documents and uh signing things off uh, manually right and and to sort of manage that in a more programmatic way through that complexity we need to be able to connect both the the sort of digital thread of the design but also the digital thread of the verification as well
3: as we move down into the from the enclosure level of electronics where we have some box in a car or a plane that per, you know performs a specific function like control the, the engine performance or the entertainment section or how assisted driving algorithm is going to execute. Whereas inside each of those enclosures is some type of printed circuit board, a package assembly, which is all about connecting to the this integrated circuit, this piece of silicon where the code's really being executed. And what we find is there's there's a, a different level of application specificness that we are, are set up to handle when we're designing that enclosure and delivering that enclosure to a specific car or plane versus developing a specific piece of silicon that go inside that enclosure to perform a specific function. We have much less application specificness in the design of silicon. We do it... But when we do it, there has to be a huge economic driver for it because it's very expensive. And usually it's take one that already exists and see if it can perform well enough to do the job that enclosure needs to do. And that gap or that spectrum of application specificness is a big part of the challenge we have in decomposing down to silicon and and recomposing system verification.
1: That is very concrete, but then once you dive inside of that, it's a little bit more up to the manufacturer of that box to say, okay, I want this piece of silicon here. I have a backstock of something that will work, but wouldn't be as it's maybe streamlined as it could be. But my cost savings of using this older part and maybe modifying it a little bit would be better. Is that kind of what you're saying? And cycle time. And cycle time. Okay. So with that change, do you kind of create verification gates in the in the concept phase when you're kind of breaking down, okay, what do these different parts need to do within our box? It's some
3: combination of that and some other stuff also. Right now, customer to customer, segment to segment, how that happens, we really have to study what's going on to know what the as-is states are of our customers. But suffice it to say, there's... A wide range of capabilities in terms of how system level requirements are decomposed down into the different layers of electronics, and to what degree they're they're verifiable in a way that informs system behavior.
2: but I, I think also to add on on Nick to your question, what we do see is a lot of customers want to be able to sketch out an early architecture to maybe meet a program requirement that they're bidding on that leverages reuse of of some technology that they already have and want to be able to get an early understanding on whether their proposed architecture is going to meet those requirements. And so every element of reuse, there's often modeling behind that reuse that you can use because it's already been verified. And so you've you've got this ability to maybe verify certain parts of the architecture and requirements that go along with that and only have to scope out some maybe newer pieces of a solution space for that program and customers wanting to be able to do that very early in the design cycle so that they can get as an example you know an early bid in to see whether or not an early costing bid to see whether or not they can uh, use that to to win a program for example
0: that's the same approach that we see many of our customers whether you're doing a full vehicle a subsystem, or even the subsystem decomposition, whatever your product is, that path of being able to have a model-based product definition that drives your cost, feasibility, delivery decision through a concept. And some of that's reused some of it's new innovation, but it's really the, the whole model-based approach is driving exactly that, no matter what level you are in your your product of the value chain, whether you're a a supplier or the integrator, the OEM, everybody is dealing with that same challenge, but in different scales.
2: Yeah, and I I think the the vision of being able to connect the levels of hierarchy together from an abstraction standpoint, that architectural decomposition being continuous and being able to kind of take out any portion of that, work on it independently and have a good definition of what the requirements are, the subsequent implementation, the verification, you know, really, really would solidify that solution, Tim, sort of across multiple domains, right? I mean, I can then as a supplier, I've got a contract I need to deliver to, I know what those requirements are, I can provide verification data back, you know, that's sort of part of what what I think um, the industry is driving towards, whether that system be an airplane, you know, or whether that system is just uh, a flight controller or something like that.
1: All right, this is a very different world of engineering for me. There's just so much happening on such a small scale. Could one of you explain a little bit what it looks like as you drill down and refine your systems architecture? Like, what does it look like to start building an ASIC or an SOC from these requirements? Or is that a little bit too in the weeds? Well, I think one current
3: example we have is in aerospace and defense, where we would be working with a customer supplying for example a, the subsystem that controls the the dropping of weapon systems from underwing mounts so we we see the commonality of the mount across the different types of weapons be a source of requirements we see interaction with the pilot as a source of requirements and we still get some type of architectural representation but not to the level that the supplier of this subsystem needs to build the subsystem and so what we see is that we we see this part of or representation of part of the air gap where immediately this model based systems engineering work product that comes from the customer gets interpreted by a human and completely reproduced in the type of architecture representations that this team knows how to work it That fundamentally stems from the tools that generated the system-level architecture representations. Just they're not familiar to the subsystem engineering team. They're not fluent in those representations. They don't feel it has the features to represent the architecture the way they need it to. So they do what they need to, and you have this gap. And that's very typical. If you take that down to an IC level... It really depends on what the what the customer is. If the customer is asking for a specific microelectronics product, they may have you know fairly well refined requirements that meet to some of the industry standards. But even then, the requirements have to be refined further by those knowledgeable designers of that piece of microelectronics to do the things that they know need to happen to verify that microelectronics device is, is working to expectations, not just meeting those source level requirements pr- provided by the customer, but those things that cause that piece of microelectronics to, to malfunction. All that subject matter expertise comes out of the the designers and is usually expressed in some tool or work product that's completely disconnected from the customers.
1: And does that extend all the way down to the manufacturer, say one of the, the silicon fabs that's the translation i guess you could say i think that's a great question
3: but it it really is unique to the manufacturing of silicon microelectronics because it's just such a unique world of nanofabrication processes and chemistries to achieve that are so dissimilar from everything else we do in the electronics domain but i think the question is pertinent to the other layers as well, and I think generally the answer is no. It, it it just we we don't have that consistent flow of either the architecture, information, and work products, and thus the recomposing of system verifications is very challenging.
2: I think there's a, a a bit of a tangent, right? But when you start looking at manufacturing and the growing need to verify and have traceability that what was manufactured is what was designed from, from you know, kind of a trust and traceability standpoint throughout product definition does have a link back into verification. But that's sort of a little bit of a tangent from the architectural breakdown side and a little bit more into how do you guarantee that what you wanted to design and what you built were actually what you did build. And can you verify that throughout the supply chain?
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, if we walk this back even further, you know, let's go back to complexity because the complexity, as we described earlier, also gets back to have I adequately described what I need the subsystem system to do? Have I described it effectively? And as the complexity is driven further vertically down to the board and chip level, the need to have that shift left description and verification is even more important. And so this is where I think the the connection to model-based system engineering is becoming even more relevant. Not only is it key that I can decompose that descriptive element from the system to subsystem to component, the interfaces across those, but I'm able to simulate all that early in my decision process before I get to fabrication, before I get to manufacturing, before I get to the physical element of that. So the ability to connect the systems definition, the descriptive element of the system with requirements and parameters and architecture and interfaces and being able to simulate that in a model based way is part and parcel to how people are dealing with the complexity. But then, but then being able to connect that vertically and deliver that in a common context all the way down through your, your engineering chain is really what makes it the most powerful.
2: I think, Tim, if you sort of take a pure, maybe a more pure electronics example, somebody mentioned uh, ECUs earlier for for cars. But if you were to look at something like a cell phone and the complexity in, in in a consumer electronics device like that, again, some fairly simple requirements that might say this new version of the cell phone has to be able to watch video at 4K for three hours on a battery charge, sounds like a very simple requirement, but that's an incredibly complex multi-domain Challenge, right? I mean, you've got GPUs that, as you start running video on at, at sort of high frame rate, heat up. You know, that's got an impact on the battery and the power consumption. That has an impact on thermal characteristics within the device and cooling, and how you uh, how you architect that cooling. And sort of doing that as an individual domain means that those pieces only come together when you've got a prototype. And if it doesn't if it doesn't fit together at that point, you're already a huge amount of expense. Um, rather than being able to verify a proposed architecture earlier in the design cycle,
1: yeah, splitting it out, you can look at where the problems are instead of just throwing darts at a dartboard and trying to figure out what works with this black box of it's a thing it has to do this this one task, it's not doing the task anymore.
2: Yeah, I, I think we're we're pretty good as an industry in in our sort of individual domains. We you know we know how to build a circuit board to meet the requirements, and we know how to build an IC to to meet the requirements. It's you know, doing that in a more complex system where there's a lot of interactivity between those, where that complexity challenge is no longer linear, right? I mean, you know, complexity has always increased in the individual domains. And so when we look at PCB as an individual domain, clock speeds and bus speeds escalating, we're pretty good at managing that as a single domain complexity increase, that's sort of somewhat linear. When you start bringing this multi-domain problem together, the complexity increase is no longer linear, it becomes exponential.
1: All right, so you have to digitalize, you have to make sure everything's accountable. But there's one more topic that I'd like to talk to you about, the automatable with MBSE. Fortunately, we're running a little short on time today. Uh, Next time we get together, let's dive into how to make development more efficient with MBSE. Thank you for joining Tim and myself. I look forward to continuing this conversation on our next call.
0: Thank you for joining us in this fourth podcast of our series on model-based systems engineering. As always, we look forward to future discussions on innovative technologies that impact the future of manufacturing.